Sunday blessings to you all. This is the Lord's Day, the day of resurrection, that commences a new week and offers a new opportunity to be drawn by grace more deeply into the paschal mystery of Jesus Christ. Through the gifts of the Holy Spirit, may each of us graciously respond to Jesus' invitation to live more deeply his passion, death, and glorious resurrection and ascension, and be drawn into loving communion with God our Father. You are listening to Encountering Jesus with the Church Fathers, a podcast pondering patristic commentary and insight on the sacred scriptures, the sacred liturgy, and living as a disciple of Jesus Christ. I am your host, Father Mark, and I welcome you to this podcast on the 19th Sunday in Ordinary Time. Guiding us this Sunday in opening the Word of God is once again a familiar voice, Origin of Alexandria. Regarded as an ancient Christian writer, he undeniably influenced some of the great fathers of the Church as well as believers and theologians throughout the centuries. He died around the year 254, approximately six months after being released from prison, during which he was tortured for his devotion to Jesus Christ. Origen was a prolific writer, and many of his writings are extant and relatively accessible. On this Sunday, we listen to an excerpt from his commentary on the Epistle to the Romans, which was proclaimed at Mass today. And now, from Origen's Commentary on the Epistle to the Romans. Paul sees that it would have seemed contradictory and incredible that in the light of what he explained above by no power in heaven or earth, in things present and future, opposing him, he could be separated from the love of Christ. He was determined to say now that he hoped to be accursed from Christ, that is, to become estranged, whom he loved with such inseparability. Lest he should seem to be branded a liar, he sets down a satisfactory explanation so that there will be no doubt whatsoever about his words and says, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears witness to me in the Holy Spirit. But let us see why he says, I am speaking the truth in Christ, as if showing that there is some truth that is not in Christ. See whether we can distinguish truth that is in Christ from that which is not in Christ in some such way. For the same Paul says in another passage, The truth of Christ is in me, that I am not lying. So then, one should believe that the truth of Christ is there where the rest of the virtues, which Christ is said to be, exist. 
That is, where there is righteousness, where there is peace, where there is the word of God, there is also the truth of Christ. Yet there is also a truth in unrighteousness, as if for some instance, we would call that demon of Python that is reported in the Acts of the Apostles to have taken up residence in a certain servant girl and to have called after the apostles. These are servants of the Most High God who are declaring the way of God to men. There was truth in these words, for what was said was true, but the truth was not in Christ. And for that reason, Paul turned around and said, Be silent and come out of her. Moreover, there was also that truth that Caiaphas spoke. It is better for you that one man die for the people, and not that the entire nation should perish. That truth, however, was not in Christ, and therefore the apostle claims to be speaking the truth in Christ to distinguish it from the truth that is outside of Christ. Moreover, what he says, my conscience bears witness to me in the Holy Spirit, seems to me to have a similar sense. For according to what this same apostle says above, the conscience bears witness even for the Gentiles, while the conscience bears witness to them and their thoughts mutually accuse or even defend them. In those, then, in whom their own thoughts have something that would accuse and in whom the conscience comes as a witness, it is impossible to be said what witness the conscience would bear in the Holy Spirit for evil deeds. But in the Apostle, where the thoughts no longer have anything that can accuse him, the conscience justly bears witness in the Holy Spirit. But behold the greatness of the Apostle's heart. From the love of God, he cannot be separated. What he speaks he speaks in Christ. What he has in his conscience is controlled by the Holy Spirit. What heavens exist, I ask? What thrones are there? What minds of heavenly powers, though most expansive, are able to encompass the whole Trinity in such spacious rooms? He says that I have great sorrow and uneasing pain in my heart. Go ahead, have sorrow. Go ahead, feel pain because of the lostness of your brothers, who are kinsmen according to the flesh. But does it really extend so far that you should wish to become accursed from Christ? And why would their salvation benefit you if you should be cut off from salvation? And what benefit is it to save others if you yourself perish? 
He says, It is not so, but I have learned from my teacher and Lord that whoever wants to save his soul shall lose it, and whoever loses it will find it. What is so astonishing, then, if the apostle should desire to become accursed for the sake of his brothers? He knows that the one who was in the form of God emptied himself from that form and took on the form of a slave and became a curse for us. What is astonishing, then, if, since the Lord became a curse for the sake of slaves, a slave should become accursed for the sake of brothers. Yet I believe that this is also what Moses was saying to the Lord when the people sinned. And now, if indeed you will forgive their sin, forgive it. But if not, blot me out of the book of life that you have written. What then? Do you want Paul to seem inferior to Moses? The latter asks to be blotted out of the book of life for the sake of his brothers. If then Paul is not obliged to hope to be accursed for the sake of his brothers? But perhaps someone says that Moses, in making this offer, merited to procure salvation for the people. But although Paul hopes... He was not heard. What if I should show you that Paul was heard more than Moses? For all those who had gone forth through Moses fell in the wilderness. But their descendants, who had received the promised land, are even now meandering away from it as wanderers and exiles. But listen to what Paul says about Israel. I do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of this ministry, that a blindness has occurred to Israel, in part, until the fullness of the Gentiles should come in, and thus all Israel will be saved. You see, then, that Paul was heard, and because he offered himself to be accursed, he merited salvation for his brothers. And so it seems to me that the reason why he first said all those things, that by no power could be torn away from the love of God, was so that when he offers himself to be accursed for the sake of his brothers, you should not judge that this, his own failing away, has happened. But just as he who is by nature inseparable from the Father and immortal, went to death and descended into the underworld. So also Paul, by imitating the Master, even though he was incapable of being separated from love, that is, Christ, becomes accursed from Christ for the sake of his brothers, assuredly out of devotion, not transgression. That the Israelites are Paul's kinsmen according to the flesh requires no explanation. He says, Whose is the adoption as sons? 
for even the sons of Israel were adopted by God at that time, when the Most High divided the nations and dispersed the sons of Adam according to the number of the angels of God, and Jacob became the Lord's portion, and Israel the line of his inheritance. This, then, is the meaning of adoption as sons. The glory, the covenant, the giving of the law. It has already repeatedly been spoken about the glory of the law that was given. As the apostle himself says, if what is being nullified came through glory, that is the old covenant, how much more is that which remains in glory, namely the proclamation of the gospel? But what he says, the covenants and the giving of the law, this perhaps seems to declare one and the same thing. For the law that was given is itself also called a covenant. But in my opinion, there is no distinction. There was but one law, dispensed all at one time through Moses, but covenants were established over and over again. For as often as they sinned and were rejected, so often were they disinherited. And again, as often as God was propitiated again and called them back, and led them into the possession of their inheritance, so often it must be believed that he renewed the covenants and recorded them as heirs. The Worship and the Promises He calls the priestly duties worship. Promises refer to those that were made to the fathers, and that are hoped to be given to those who, through faith, are called Abraham's sons. But it is certain that not only the fathers, but also the Christ came from that race, that is, from the Israelite race, according to the flesh. As he also says through the prophet, Woe to them, because my flesh is from them. But why woe to them? Because Jesus was born for the falling and the resurrection of many. And because he was rejected by those from whom his flesh was descended, and he was received by the Gentiles by whom he was not known, as he also says through David, a people whom I have not known, have served me. For them, therefore, is also the Christ according to the flesh. Who is over all God, blessed forever? He has already described Christ according to the flesh and according to the Spirit in earlier part of this letter, where he says, Who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh? and was destined to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of sanctification. We have, to the best of our ability, 
given a more complete explanation of how he is the son of God according to the spirit and the son of David according to the flesh. The one, then, whom he there called the son of God according to the spirit, here he declares to be the very God who is over all, because the level of a doctrine is advancing for those who are making progress, as one might expect for hearers. All holy men and women, pray for us. Let us pray. Almighty and ever-living God, whom, taught by the Holy Spirit, we dare to call our Father, bring, we pray, to perfection in our hearts the spirit of adoption as your sons and daughters, that we may merit to enter into the inheritance which you have promised. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Go and announce the gospel of the Lord.